and this is Pastor Daniel McGee with Connection Church in New York City. Thank you for listening to our church's weekly podcast. We hope God uses this sermon to encourage you and to increase your faith in Him. If you'd like to know more about our church, please check out our website at ConnectionNYC.com or like us on Facebook at ConnectionNYC. Grace and peace be with you. from the New Testament book of 1 Peter. Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives, when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of your own inner self, the the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to adorn themselves. They submitted themselves to their own husbands, like Sarah who obeyed Abraham and called him her Lord. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So if, if you're just picking topics that you would cover in church, this would probably not be one that many people would want to, to preach from. This text uh, seems to be quite offensive in some ways if you read it. In fact, I think half of you did not see, say thanks be to God after the reading of the word of the Lord right there. Uh, we can talk about that. Maybe by the end of this sermon, uh, you can think otherwise and, and feel better about what we just read. It's a, it's a complicated verse that raises a lot of, uh, not only questions, but it raises emotions as well. We read something like this that says, Wives, submit yourselves to your husband as unto the Lord. And we think, that sounds terrible. Uh, that sounds wrong. It, it, it sounds like something that goes against the very thing that the gospel taught me in the beginning, that I'm free. And so there are lots of things that can change our perspective on what the Bible says and a lot of things in our lives that can cause us to misunderstand what the Scripture says as well. This is one of those verses I do believe is often misunderstood and often not covered because it is easily misunderstood. So I would like to invite you to not be the person that's already made up your mind as to what this verse means. Okay, I want you to not be the person that says I'm resistant to what I'm about to hear because I didn't like the way that read. I want you to say out loud, that's not me. I want all of you to say out loud, that's not me. All right, good. So most of you did that. I appreciate it. Um, I'm excited for this verse. Uh, There was a time in my life where I would have had to take the heart, verse 6 there, where it says, uh, do what is right and do not give in to fear, do not give way to fear. At a time in my life, I feel like this would have been a fearful verse for me to, uh, to, um, to cover uh, because it is such a, a hostile um, topic when we talk about uh, the, the women and men and especially within church and marriage and all these things. Um, it can cause us to sound pretty strange and look pretty strange in the world around us. One of the things that we've talked about every week is First Peter is a letter that Peter wrote to a group of Christians living in a very non-Christian land. 
There were just a few of them dispersed around what's modern-day Turkey right now in a non-Christian world, and the sermon series is called Stranger Beings. And it's talking about us as Christians living as strangers and aliens, as foreigners in a land that we don't belong in. And so some things that we do look at in the Scriptures are going to cause us to look strange to the outside world. The question is not whether or not we look strange, but the question is, should we look strange? At what point should we look different than the world around us? And at what point should we go along with the flow? And this is where we need the Word of God and the Holy Spirit and the counsel from fellow Christians to help us know where that line is drawn. Earlier I mentioned that uh, tonight we're covering wives, so if you hear me talking about that more than husbands, it's because the very next verse, verse 7, speaks to the husbands, and I couldn't adequately cover both of these in, in one sermon. So this week we're focusing on the wives, because that goes in order of the reading, and next week we're going to talk about the husbands. If you want to follow along in your worship outline, uh, in your folder, there's a sermon outline that has four points. We're going to fill in some blanks that'll help you have something to take home with you and keep throughout the week and also help keep me on track to make sure I don't spend too much time up here. Amen? (laughs) You guys amen that one quickly. So we'll start with number one. We're talking about a wife and uh, a name of strength and beauty. A name of strength and beauty. And we'll start with number one when we're talking about submission. Number one on your list. Submission is not oppression or suppression. Submission is not oppression or suppression. So Peter starts off, and and to be clear, because some people will just jump in and, and hear this for the first time, and we've been preaching through this letter verse by verse, so Peter has said a lot up to this point, two chapters worth in this book. And so we're not just jumping in, pulling this out, and, and picking on the text. We're working verse by verse. So he's talked about a lot of different things, but tonight we're talking about submission, and it, I want you to understand that it's not something that's forced. It's not something that is forced upon any wife. She's not under the authority of an oppressor. It also doesn't mean that she, as a woman, has to suppress who she is. It certainly doesn't mean she has to become lesser than she is for the sake of her husband. Some people think that submission means that you have to become an obsequious sycophant. That was the word of the day for our connect groups this week. So that means a yes man, someone who says, yes, whatever you want, whatever you like. Yes, 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 a yes man. That's not what it means. It says something quite different. In fact, look with me again in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1, and we'll see something very interesting here. It says, wives... In the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands so that, and we're going to stop right here. We're going to say, wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands. So what Peter is doing here is revolutionary. He's addressing the wives personally. In the custom of that day, if a man wanted to communicate to a wife, he would go to the husband and have the husband communicate to the wife. But what he is doing is going against the cultural norm of the day, and he's very progressive, he's very liberal, if you will, and he speaks to the women personally. Last week or two weeks ago, we saw him do that with slaves, where he addressed the household slaves personally. And it shows this week, again, with with wives, that he's showing value to them, that he places because there's a newfound faith in them, a new uh, ideal that God has placed in the heart of his people. 
He's saying that there's no difference in class or sex when it comes to being an heir of Christ, an inheritor of Christ. There is equality. Peter addresses them personally, and he says this. He says, wives, you submit yourselves. Here's what he didn't say. He did not say, husbands, have your wives submit to you. Do you see the difference? He spoke to them personally and said, this is something that you're to do. Wives, this is your choice to make. And he's going on to explain further why this is God's desire for them to choose to submit to their own husbands. But in order for us to get to that, I have a few other verses we're going to go through very quickly here. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21, we see this topic of submission brought up by another apostle called Paul. And he's writing to a group of Christians in Ephesus. And this is what he says in verse 21 and following. He says, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now he's speaking to everyone at this point. Not just to the wives, not just to the husbands, to, and not just to the single people. He's speaking to everyone. He's saying, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And then he goes on to say in the next verse, Wives, the same way Peter did it, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church. Well, now he's getting offensive again. Well, we're going to talk about that. The husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Let's keep going. I like the way you're looking at me right now. You're like, how is he getting out of this one? We're going to go to the next verse. Verse. Here we go. In Galatians chapter 3, verses 26 through 29, we see Paul talk about this same thing again. He says, So, in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ, you've clothed yourself in and with Christ. And then he says, There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there what? Male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed, and all of you are heirs, inheritors of, according to the promise. So, Paul is using in Galatians right here a very powerful principle of showing that there is equality at the cross. That whether you're man or woman, whether you're Jew or Gentile, he basically covers everyone, whether you're a slave or free. He covers every almost category of the people in the day. He says, it doesn't matter who you are, you are a co-heir of Christ. You are equal in Christ. But he wasn't saying that some of you aren't slaves and some of you aren't free. Obviously, that still happened. He wasn't saying that, that some of you aren't Jewish and some, no, none of you are Jewish anymore, none of you are Gentile anymore. That's not what he's saying. There was still that ethnicity and, that, that belonged there. And he certainly wasn't saying that you're not male and female anymore. That's ludicrous. We still have our masculinity and femininity, our maleness and our femaleness, or however you want to say that. There is still male and female. But what the point is, he's saying there is equality at the cross. That it doesn't matter where you are, but you are an heir of God. You belong to him. You are a partaker. You are Abraham's seed of faith. Now let's keep going, in, um, because he, he, God talks about the, the way males, men and women work together. 
but he doesn't get away, uh, he doesn't do away with our, 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 our genders, our roles in life. But look, look with me in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3. And we'll talk more about this as well. Because when he, he said that the, the, the man is the, the head of the wife, uh, what does that mean? He's going to talk more about this here in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3. Here it is. But I want you to realize that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. The head of every man is Christ, the head of every woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. Marriage is, is a complicated relationship. For those of you that have been married, you know this already, <laughs> that it's complicated. And there are uh, two very different people that are wired differently. My wife and I think very differently uh, in a lot of ways. We're wired differently. We have different ways that we were brought up. We have different expectations, different hopes, different dreams. Uh, and there are different roles that God has to play within the marriage. Marriage is to reflect the, the trinity of God. It's something that, that gives us this complexity of coming together in equality, but playing different roles. If you look here in 1 Corinthians, again, if you'll throw that verse back up, it says that the head of the woman is man, and it says the head of Christ is God. But we know through the doctrine of the Trinity that Jesus is not inferior to the Father, don't we? We know that they are equal. We know that, that through the Trinity that, that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are equal. They are one, yet they are distinct in differences. They're different roles to play. And so God has the same thing in line for marriage, that there's a role for the husband to play, and there's a role for the wife to play. And it's not cut and dry where, you know, the, it, this is certainly not saying the man gets his way every time. We're going to cover that in just a second. But there is a dynamic within marriage that is supposed to reflect the Trinity. And when a woman chooses to take upon the name wife, when you give yourself to a husband, you give up your individuality. But here's the good news. If you're a Christian, you should have already done that. You should have already, when you entered into the church and when you became a follower of Christ, you sacrificed and you gave up that individuality. You said, it's no longer about me getting my way and being heard like I want to be heard. But it's about me being part of something bigger than me. It's about me being part of the body of Christ, his global church. And we give up this individuality. And, and we know even from a human perspective that organizations, they typically, and most healthy ones, have the head of an organization that's responsible for making the final decision. And so Peter is saying the, the wife absolutely is equal to uh, the husband. She is co-heir with her husband. We'll talk more about that in depth next week as well. But he says also her role is to function as Christ functions with the Father. That there is a subservient role, a submissive role, to where you submit to the Father. It doesn't mean this. It doesn't mean that you can't speak up. It doesn't mean you can't have a different opinion. Amen? No? Okay. Amen. I'll amen for you. It doesn't even mean that you always have to agree with one another. It doesn't mean, certainly, that your husband always gets his way. It does mean that you have to watch football. I'm kidding. It doesn't mean that. Just making sure you're paying attention with me. And listen, it never means that you have to follow orders like an employee follows the orders of a boss. That is not what Peter said. That's not what Paul said. That's not what God says. It means that you're part of this glorious picture of the Trinity. There are multiple persons of equal status 
equal value, and they're working in harmony together. And God's designed marriage to function like He functions. But here's the question. What if the husband isn't leading like he should? What if he stinks as a spiritual leader? In fact, what if you as the wife are the spiritual leader of the house? What if your husband's not even a believer? Well, let's not answer that question right now. Let's go to point number two, and let's see if those questions will be answered as we keep going further. Remember, a wife is a name of strength and beauty. Number two. Number two on the list is actions are worth more than words. Actions are worth more than words. It was expected in the day Peter wrote this letter for the wife, listen, to take on the faith of her husband. That was the expectation. It was expected. Whatever his faith was, she had to do that. She didn't have a choice in the matter as far as the cultural norms went. You can imagine this would put a wife who comes to faith in Christ, who's married to a man who's of a different religion, it would put her in a very tough spot to be in. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1 and 2, he goes on to talk about this and because many women found themselves uh, in this situation. In fact, Christianity was spreading to slaves and to women, the minorities, if you will, of, uh, of, the, um, of the culture. And it was spreading through them like wildfire. But they were not in positions of power. The people of power were still of something, other, something else. And so Peter is trying to help them work through this. And so he says in verse 3, or chapter 3, verse 1, he says, Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves. And he talked about it in the same way as he talked about with the slaves, submitting yourselves this way, to your own husbands, so that, here's why, if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. Peter was saying that what you need to do, wives, is emphasize what your husband sees more than what he hears. It's easy to speak about change. It's much more difficult to show people that you've been changed. He's saying, have your husband see the purity of your life. Have him see how you reverence him, how you love him, how you reverence others, how you love others. Have him see how you reverence your God. Have you ever heard uh, St. Saint Francis of Assisi uh, quote that says, preach the gospel at all times, use words if necessary? Raise your hand if you've heard that. Okay, don't ever quote that because that's not what St. Francis of Assisi said, Okay. So this is, this is your wake-up call. Don't believe everything you read on the internet, okay? Um, so it seems that he was misunderstood because nowhere in his writings did he ever say that. Uh, in fact, in, in one of his writings, uh, which is called Rule of 1221, Chapter 7, this is the closest thing that can be found. And this is what he did say, what was written down. He said this, No brother should preach contrary to the form and regulations of the Holy Church, nor unless he has been permitted by his ministry. He says, all the friars should preach by their deeds. So what he was saying was, not preach the gospel at all times, use words if necessary. What he was saying was, make sure your words match your deeds. Make sure that what you're saying to people matches with what you're doing. And so this is 
uh, nev- this is, when Peter says this, he's not saying to the wives, never use words to tell your husband about Jesus. That would be crazy uh, and just a, a horrible thing for a wife not to be able to share uh, her faith with her husband, but with the words. But he was saying, because, uh, you know, number one, if you're just trying to send messages through your actions to your husband, if you've been married long enough, you realize we don't have that capability, that radar. It doesn't work with us. We don't pick up on your subtleties, right? We don't understand when you do things and, and then you get your, your feelings hurt and you're like, I don't, how, you should, you know, what, what did I do wrong? You should know what I, you did wrong. I'm like, I, I need you to tell me what I, what I did wrong because I really don't know. We don't, there's something amiss uh, with our brains. They, they function differently. Fair, very few of us have the gift of interpretation when it comes to picking up your signals. So what we need you to do is tell us with your words what it is. That, that would really help us out and help you out as well. Uh, and so what he's saying is, make sure that when you use your words, when you tell him about Christ, that it lines up with how you're living. We need you to use your words, and God is telling you, make sure when you use your words, that they match your deeds. This is how you're going to glorify God in your marriage. And to do that, it takes uh, strength, but it leads to beauty. Look with me in verse, uh, or actually not verse, we're going to look at number three in the sermon outline. The second one was actions are worth more than words, and the third one is this. Inner beauty endures while outer beauty fades. Inner beauty endures while outer beauty fades. So much of, of women's time seems to be focused on, on outward beauty, like hairs and hairs, all of your hairs on your head, and your nails and makeup and, and clothing and jewelry. All these things can, can consume women. There's this pressure that's put on you to make sure that you're beautiful according to the standards of the culture, that you're acceptable. You have to keep up with the fashion, and I, even on the subway, I noticed there's uh, subway ads for plastic surgery, and not the kind that you need after illness or accident that scarred the body, but the kind that says, you're not beautiful unless you enhance your body this way. Unless your thighs and butt are a certain size, you're not accepted. And this is a battle that every woman needs to be empowered to fight. Your beauty is not determined by the culture. Your beauty isn't determined by your dress size. It's not determined by your features. It's much greater than that. You are created by God. He sees you right now where you are, and He calls you beautiful. You are treasured. You are accepted. You are celebrated just as you are, but the world has infected the minds of men and women, and men make snap judgment about, judgments about who's worth their pursuit based on a profile pic on a dating site or the first impression of when they see a woman. So men, we have to fight this battle as well and realize quickly that if, if you're selecting your dates based on shallow reasons, then don't be surprised when you have shallow relationships that don't stand the test of time. And if you're desiring a wife, then you should pray to the Lord to bless you with wisdom to become the husband worthy of a godly, strong, beautiful wife. And then ask Him to open up your eyes to find her. And women, you have to resist the temptation to focus so much on your outer beauty that you neglect your inner beauty. 
You know, there is a distinct difference between dressing in a way to be attractive and dressing in a way to be seductive. I'll say that again. There's a distinct difference between dressing in a way to be attractive and dressing in a way to be seductive. And most of us know that difference. But if we struggle, it may be a good idea to get some people in our lives to help us determine when we cross those lines. In First Peter first, uh, chapter 3, verses 3 and following, he says this. He says, Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes. Please stop taking off your jewelry, ladies. That's not what he's talking about here. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used, used to adorn themselves. They submitted themselves to their own husbands. So he speaks of hairstyles, gold, and fine clothes. And, and to be clear, this is not the focus of what he's saying. He's not saying these things are bad. But he's saying this outer beauty, it will fade, and fashion trends fade. Uh, you know this very clearly. I've spoken adamantly against the return of the 80s style, and it's still here, and I don't understand it. I, I, don't, I don't get it. It was terrible then. It's terrible now, and it's still happening. But honestly, to be fair to truth, it's starting to wear on me and starting to, to gain uh, affinity in my heart, so uh, I'm starting to actually like it now, which is, you know, I'm in a rough spot, so, but we see the, the fashion trends change over time, and, um, and what we value changes over time, and, and our, our bodies change over time, and he's saying, don't focus on this, don't let this be what consumes you, but look at this, and he, he mentions the gentle and quiet spirit. This shouldn't be offensive, because it's not saying weak, He's not saying, women, you're to be gentle and quiet and, and be weak. It's not sitting back and not being heard. It's not sitting back and, and not having a voice in the game. What it is, it's having your actions match your words and then having the strength of the Lord in such a way that you don't have to raise your voice to be heard. There's peace within your spirit. There's now a certainty. There's a confidence of who you are. Listen to this. this is, if you're going to tweet something, this might be it. It's faith. <laughs> Is, was that humble enough? Okay. All right, good. Thank you. It's this. It's faith that God is in control so that you don't have to lose control for people to hear you. You ever feel like you can't be heard unless you just really go after somebody? This gentle and quiet spirit is realizing, I have faith that God is in control and I don't have to lose control. He says, the godly women of the day, they put their hope in God. They didn't have the power. A lot of women, there's a long way to go. I realize that, but we are a lot further along than where they were when they heard this letter. The position of power was, was much different. And he's saying that they had put their hope in God. And if you're putting your hope in your husband, then you're being unfair to him and setting yourself up to be miserable. If you need him to be all things to you, then you're going to put too much pressure on the relationship and contribute to its demise instead of nurturing it to blossom. But instead, your hope is to be in God, a God who never fails, so that you don't have to have the perfect husband because there doesn't exist in this world one single perfect husband. It doesn't mean that you can't go get your hair done. So feel free to do that. 
Go get your nails done. That's fine. Go get some clothes if you need them. That's fine. It doesn't mean those things. What it means is don't have your heart pursue that outer beauty more than you pursue the inner beauty. Allow your outer beauty to reflect the inner pursuit that you have. Does that make sense? If you're pursuing the inner beauty, it's going to affect your outward appearance. You're most attractive in the world when you're secure in who you are. When, we believe, uh, when you believe in who you are, you don't need someone else who constantly affirm you. You don't have to stand before us. How do I look? How do I look? But when you understand the good news of what, how God has changed you, you, you get that affirmation constantly. Because the Lord is looking upon you and he's saying, I affirm you. Do, okay, I'll just say it this way. I won't ask the question. So, women, when you stand in front of the mirror and you criticize what you see, you're criticizing the work of God. When is the last time you looked in the mirror and said, I am beautiful? When's the last time you looked in the mirror and, and affirmed the good work that God has done? That you have been created in his image. That you are lovely and celebrated and beautiful just as you are. I challenge you the next time you're standing before a mirror to say those words, I am beautiful. I am beautiful. I am fine. I am hot. I got it going on. Wait, that's what I do in the morning. So, but you're fine to use those as well. All right? You can use that as well. But it, it matters what you believe about yourself. What's the narrative that, that's going on in your heart? Are you criticizing God's creation? Change the way you see yourself from the inside out. Know that you're beautiful. And then it will also change the outward appearance of you as well. Wife is a name of strength and beauty. The fourth one is this. The guys will want to fill this one in. Here we go. Regard your husband above all others. Regard your husband above all others. Wives, your husband is to be number one in your life. Not your children, not other family members. Definitely not comparing him to guys before him. He's to be regarded highly in your life above all other people. Where do we get that from? Well, let's look at this awkward verse here in chapter 3, verses 5 and, se- five and 6. It says, For this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God, remember, they used to adorn themselves. They submitted themselves to their own husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her what? Her Lord. That's awkward. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Yes, I saw it a long time ago. Sarah called Abraham Lord. What does this mean? Isn't there only one Lord and his name is Jesus? Um, do we, are you suggesting that we should call our husbands Lord? Uh, you could if you wanted to. But um, what he's saying here is, is there's a difference between uh, Lord with a big L, like Lord Jesus, and then Lord with a little L, a sign of respect. Most of us rent in the city, and we have what's called a landlord. 
someone who owns the land that we live in, which is not really land. We usually have a space in a building that's above land somewhere or below land and with other people above us or below us. But it, it's like that. So we, we pay this large monthly price for this land that is considered ours, uh, plus a realtor fee, heat and hot water included. So Sarah was, it says, referred to him as Lord. And so did she go around saying, you know, Lord Abraham? I don't think so. I don't think that's what happened. But if, if you look in Genesis chapter 18, verse 12, that'll pop up on the screen here, we see an instance where she did this. And this is when God had told Abraham and Sarah that they were going to have a baby, and Sarah laughed to herself as she thought. She didn't say this out loud. She thought this. After I'm worn out and old and my Lord is old, will I now have this pleasure? And so it, it doesn't say that she called him Lord, your, your Lordship. It shows that Abraham was her man. That's my man. I believe in him. This was her inner dialogue that she, she, she longed for him. She trusted him. That this is, this is my man. And when's the last time, I want to ask you ladies that are married, when's the last time you told your husband, you're my man? When's the last time you told him, I am so proud of you? You know, those are words that are great to hear. And a lot of times, wives wrongly think that if they tell their husbands that, they're going to get puffed up with pride. That may happen, but you would be surprised at how fragile the male ego can be. And if there's one person that a husband needs to believe in him more than anyone else, it's his wife. Things could be going to hell at the office. The business could be shot. But if he goes home and his wife is saying, my man, the world is right. You have the power to build your husband into the man you want him to be. Or you can crush him with disappointment that he's not who you thought he would be. Those words are great, and I hope you tell your husbands this. But listen, if your actions don't meet those words, it won't mean a lot to him. There's a, a story of a man who was just reelected to mayor in a large city in the U.S., and he was taking a victory parade downtown, and he and his wife were sitting in the car waving to the crowd, and, and they saw her old high school boyfriend on the sidewalk. And the old boyfriend worked as a busboy, of all things, in a, in a restaurant and jumped from job to job. And the mayor proudly looked over to his wife, and he says, uh, aren't you glad you didn't marry him? You'd be the wife of a busboy. And she said, nope, if I had married him, he'd be the mayor. That's pretty funny. Now, don't press... Don't press that illustration further than it's intended. Don't say that women can only find identity in their husbands because that's absurd. That's not what I said. The point is this. You as wives have the power to transform your husband into someone that he could never be without you. And when a husband and wife work together, submitting to one another, fulfilling their roles in their marriage, then the Lord will shine on that relationship with favor and blessings in ways that you never thought possible.
submission. Jesus walked on water. He healed the sick. His followers called him Lord, and they worshipped him with a capital L, Lord. They worshipped him. Jesus said, I and the Father are one. We are equal. Jesus claimed to be equal to God, but he didn't use his equality for his own advantage. Instead, we see in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 and following, this great section of Scripture. It says this, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Now, this is not just for wives and not just for husbands. This is for all Christians. And he says, Who, Jesus, being in the very nature of God, he didn't consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. He humbled himself by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So wives, Jesus submitted his equality to the Father in order to serve the church, in order to serve the world, to serve us, you and me, into the kingdom of God and forgive us of our sins. And he used his privilege as a way to serve someone else, to serve others. And this is our fuel. This is who we look to to realize my life isn't about me getting mine. My life is about me following my Lord. This is true for all Christians, but this is the, it's the fuel that empowers the wives to live a life of holiness. And we'll see next week that it also fuels the husbands to live a life of holiness. The name of Jesus is the epitome of strength and beauty. We sang earlier what a beautiful name it is, the name of Jesus. But when a wife submits to her husband, when she honors God in her marriage, she becomes strength. She becomes the epitome of beauty. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, I pray your blessing over the women of our church today with special favor and grace. Bring truth into their hearts that will give them strength and hope as they need it. Remind them of their beauty and how you've created them perfectly. Renew their minds with truth that you are for them and you love them. For the wives today, I pray that you would renew their passion and their commitment to you, their passion for their husbands. And I pray that you would focus their hope in you as their Lord. For the single women, as, as they hope in you, I pray that you would meet their desires for a godly husband, someone that they would want to give themselves to fully. And I pray that you would cause men to be raised up in you that would be worthy of such a strong, beautiful woman. I, I pray uh, that you would protect and empower their hearts with faith 
as they remember that you are in control. For those who are divorced here today, Lord, flood their hearts with healing. Flood their hearts with grace. Flood their hearts with the fact that you have a good plan for their lives going forward. For those who have lost their husband, renew them, Lord. Bless them. For all of us, Lord, here today, man or woman, single or married, may we honor you in all of our relationships. May we honor you in our marriages, and may we pray for the marriages of one another. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.